Welcome to the Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, editorial director of the Fader. Billy Woods and Preservation both make music that rewards repeat listening. Woods's multi-layered bars are clear on the surface, but grow murkier the deeper you get. And Prez produces beats that would make waves in a vacuum, but are even more fulfilling as you follow his trail of obscure samples, from Hong Kong record shops to spaghetti western standoffs. Their new collaborative record, Atheops, finds Woods and Prez descending into rabbit holes of references, both lyrical and instrumental. But first and foremost, it's focused on the feedback loop of otherness. Its title is an antiquated term for Africans that emphasizes both the dissonance and overlap between Africa the idea and Africa the physical place. Like all the best art, it's open to infinite interpretation, though Woods wishes some popular takes on his work involved a bit more critical thinking. Just before the album's release, the Fader's Raphael Helfand sat down with Woods and Prez to discuss the symbiotic relationship that birthed Atheos, as well as Jamaican folk legends, Roulette, and MF Doom. I was honestly a little surprised, Woods, when you reached out to me for this interview. Um, I don't want to like retread all the old ground about you being elusive, whatever, but uh, I am curious about two things. Uh, Neither of you like to use uh, your government names publicly. Um, do you think it's important to keep a clear split between like your identity as an artist and your private life? I don't know, because internally, I don't feel like there's a huge difference. I don't feel like MF Doom, you know, where I am putting on this persona, literally donning a mask. I do enjoy not having my face photographed, and I do enjoy a, a certain level of, um, of anonymity. So, yeah, I guess in a, in a way, I don't like try to put up a wall between my personal life and my art at all, really. For me, it's uh, the name is just a uh, homage to my namesake. My family was very close to uh, the people who started Preservation Hall down in New Orleans. So that's kind of the first that's the first music I heard since when I was, you know, a baby, so and we used. I used to go back and forth from New York down there. I mean, there's other things that are involved the name, but that's kind of the root of it. So it's just kind of a uh, a look to that for me. But I, I don't feel too much of a separation. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I mean, if if anything, this the separation is just uh, that I stay <laughs> physically physical se- separation that I just stay. You know, I stay home working and being with family and same with woods i feel it's not too much of a separation between you know trying to build this wall up the other thing i'm curious about just press and persona wise is just i'm interested in in how your general feelings about music press have changed over the years um especially you woods because i read that you used to do some criticism yourself um Having watched like rap journalism evolve over the past few decades, do you have any thoughts about where it's at now or where it's headed? Not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, you know, I kind of operate under the model of render under Caesar. You know what I mean? Those things which are Caesars, like critics, there's good and bad aspects to art criticism of any kind. And I try to stay on my side of the fence while still being free to critique other people's critique of my art. You know, if you're doing it professionally and you're putting yourself out there, you deserve to be critiqued. And I don't really spend a lot of time. And if anything, 
uh, they would just reflect larger trends. You know, there's, I don't know, if you were watching ESPN 15, 20 years ago, you didn't have people like Stephen A. Smith just like getting up in the morning and thinking of something to say. They were like, that's like your job. You get up in the morning and say something crazy to start some sort of a discussion. Things you probably don't even really believe. And that same effect is present in a lot of what happens in political, social discourse, and of course in music too, you know? You get up and say something provocative, say something wild and exaggeration. Other than that, I do, there's a certain amount of democratization that has happened. Sometimes somebody will hit you up with a podcast from not the fader or something, but then you'll see a lot of response and engagement from people with somebody who might've been like, oh, I'm just doing this kid, this 19 year old kid a favor, doing this podcast with them. And you'll be like, damn, a lot of people actually follow or check in or the people who do are at a high level of engagement. Whereas before the hierarchies seemed more obvious and uh, less permeable. Neither of you seem particularly concerned with uh, like what's trendy in, in hip hop as a whole. Do you keep up with what's going on in like other areas of the genre? I mean, if you're asking me, um, there's lots of things that I am aware of and have listened to that I don't know if I like, that makes me knowledgeable about them. Sometimes I just find lots of ways to waste time. There are things that I have listened to or know about, but I wouldn't sit here and be like, let me break down for you uh, Chef G's rise. We're going to have a drill moment on the album, actually, remember? Oh, man, yes. He <laughs> backed down. I was waiting to see what was going to happen. <laughs> and he bowed mm. out. That is one of my favorite... That is one of my favorite uh, moments on the album, though. I, that uh, that sample right afterwards is just really funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> King of all blacks, I ain't human hearts. I let things fall apart. Motor cars rusting in the garage. Grenadillas wild in the yard. Vines climbing, burglar bars. The roof fell in on guards. It's full of stars. I swam in the dark. Sun fled, moon large. Fire leap from Perry's black heart. Slash and burn the past never far. Reaching with chopped arms, locked hands, no spare parts. The band played those were the days. I watched them hang. I ate red, red in the stadium stands. From crumbling balustrades, I watched them dance. Like drill rappers. You overlooked something. You heard your price. It's rather high. Oh, high. So you're going to have like a little drill sample in there? <laughs> I was going to go into maybe something kind of paying tribute to it, but just didn't work out. It didn't didn't sound right. It sounded a little forced. So we just went with the, that sample, which is works great. I mean, I never heard it. Neither of you seen like the type to change lanes suddenly and like, you know, start making drill beats or, uh, you know, start using autotune, whatever. Um, but nothing about your music, I think, feels static or stuck in the past. Do you think it's easier to like innovate from a familiar place and try to reinvent yourself on a new project? I feel like I am trying to do something new or different on every project. I feel like, you know, like even on this project, I feel like when you listen to it, I know I'm doing different things that might be subtler, take more lessons to pick up on. But definitely sonically, I feel like, oh, this is 
totally different from Terror Management or, you know, Haram is not a solo album, but something like that. Uh, sonically going a lot of different places. So there is a measure of reinvention, at least for me. And when Prez and I sat down to do this, I remember he was very like, kind of like me in that sense of like, I want a place to start from on where I'm, how I'm going to approach this. You know, free to let the thing go where it's going to go, but just wanting to, I like to be like, what am I going to try to do? Sometimes you try to do something and then later you look back and you're like, oh, that isn't at all what happened. But I like to have some sort of like a goal, some sort of um, framework, uh, maybe something different or new I'm going to ask of myself uh, and or my collaborators. And so I, de- I feel like that happened early on. And definitely Prez was somebody who came and was like, this is a sound direction we could go. This is a sound direction we could go. And it's always interesting after you do it to look back then and be like, what actually did occur? What did happen? Yeah, you what know? happened? Because you don't want to lock yourself into like, oh, I said I was going to do this at the beginning. So I'm just, you know, you got to go where it's taking you. Yeah. And I, I for, for me, I, I definitely had a couple of sounds in mind that I kind of wanted to be uh, inserted into the project. And yeah, again, looking back, I'm like, oh, well, some of those first kind of ideas I had did kind of make it into it. There's, you know, certain things that stayed and certain things that evolved. Like when he let me know what the concept and the title was, then I went back and kind of adjusted and then gave him things that could fit. And I think a lot of times it is like that, but this would be one of the more symbiotic sort of feedback loop processes of making an album that I probably ever had all the way down to there were things about not only with the title, then reinforcing certain sounds and conceptual ideas, but even there was a source used for almost every sample dialogue sample uh, in the album. But then in the course of, I've been holding on to this thing that uh, we use dialogue from for a long time, for for a long time for, for the right, project and it had a special place in my heart. And when I was like, all right, I'm going to use it here, kind of went through it, watching it and finding things that I'd use. And in so doing also found some musical segments in that uh, source material that some of them found their way into the music as well, you know, which was pretty rare. It was a lot of that. It and definitely weave, weaved it all together for sure. And Prez is definitely like a micro, just goes over everything fine-tooth comb. So as we moved into post-production and did different things, there'd be little flourishes, little additions that also built upon things that came about as we were working on the record, ideas and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, I'd say I'd, with me, with a lot of your music woods, it feels like there's like a very tangible like common thread that runs through it but like one that I w- would always struggle to put in words and I'm wondering what both of you like feel whether it's like the single source of the samples or like the the overarching concept what do you feel like holds these tracks together as like a single document I mean for me it's definitely one of them I would say that conceptually it was one of the more complex ideas I've ever tried to tackle or group of ideas I've ever tried to tackle on an album and, you know, uh, which which 
sometimes makes it like, oh, you know, in retrospect, do, 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 or this or that, because it's a lot of ideas, big and small, of uh, a significant depth, I think. So I guess to me, there's a lot going on about blackness as an idea, Africa as an idea, Africa as a reality, the diaspora looking at the motherland and vice versa, you know, obviously from the cover to the title itself, the idea of the other, the idea of even thinking about the real Ethiopia, which comes up more than once, both sonically and in words. You know, half of my family is Jamaican and I have Rastas in my family who feel like Haile Selassie was God and Messiah. And half of my family is from Africa, although nowhere near Ethiopia. That seems a little preposterous. But again, you're talking about the other and ideas of blackness, which don't necessarily have to line up with the reality of it. It's an idea, you know, like Europeans decided what blackness was. There's a lot of obviously like familiar collaborators on this record, but more importantly, obviously, like there's the collaboration between the two of you across the whole album. Obviously, most hip hop involves collaboration between rappers and producers, but I've noticed in both of your work, like you tend to be a little bit more holistic than most about it, like setting aside full albums to work with collaborators rather than just features on tracks. You said this was like a very symbiotic process, but like how deep of a connection do you each need to have with another artist before you commit to a full project with them rather than just like a one-off feature? I think uh, to climb a mountain like a, an album, <laughs> you kind of have to have something there that's uh, you're willing to take that leap to tackle this the, a, a long period of time with this person working doing doing this and and uh, and the back and forth. You know, you want to kind of be sure that it, it, you know, that it can kind of go as, as smoothly as possible and. So, yeah, I think that's important to be able to have a, a previous kind of connection, relationship to kind of go into a full length thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Although I would say in actual practice, when I look at my records I've done, it's sometimes a little bit random when you yeah, think about uh, yeah, who, for sure. when for I sure. think about who I actually did a full like when I Kenny Siegel, I didn't really know him very well at all when we started, but we hung out, we, we did like one or two things. He did some stuff for Arm & Hammer, really not much, but through Elucid. And then I met him in person and then he was like, I'm in New York, I'm gonna, can I come through? And he came through and we just hung out and talked and he played some random beats and we found out we were from almost the exact same place. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, then it just started up. And also at that time I didn't, have anything in particular happening that would have, you know, so it was like, all right, cool, why not? You know, uh, I like what I've heard of this person and we had a good time hanging out. I don't have anything I'm planning to do. Um, and, you know, which is different than, I don't know, when Alchemist hit me up and we started talking about Haram and uh, the Arm and Hammer thing, it was like, Whatever you say, man, <laughs> you know, let's, let's go. It doesn't really matter. So they're all very different situations. Yeah. 
But yeah, you're right. I mean, sometimes that relationship blossoms very quickly just out of the respect that you have for each other. And it's just like, wow, we're on the same thing already. So you find a couple of little connection points and you're kind of just, you're, you're going, you know. To me, Asylum sort of plays like a prelude to No Hard Feelings, which hits very hard, despite the title. Um, that song like starts with a series of, of really brutal images, and they're delivered over like an instrumental that's essentially all horns with no drums at all. Cop space and jet off my steps. Challenge and launch, burning bright, burning death, burning the firmament. Chore boy will catch the hint, black boy burn crisp. Black lips, black marionettes dance limp over the pit. The tiny ones distant as the winter sun. A mad woman whistling, you can hear it if you listen. That's that empty pipe hissing. That's him crying and twitching. That's the vanishing point in the distance. Between us, just the glass thickness. Crack mirrors flash rictus. Skin pulled tight to the skull, that's the sickness. Seeping through my leaking windows and broke fixtures. Was did you feel it would be harder for people to look away from those lyrics on the track in the absence of like a more traditional beat with drums? No, I mean, I heard the song and then I started. That was one of the earliest ones uh, that we did. I heard the beat and I was like, wow, this is intense. And we had been talking about when we had been visualizing, there had been some talk about making something that was really loud and discordant and, you know, bomb squad-esque as one of the options of where to go. And um, I heard that beat and I just started writing. Also, the events that I'm writing about were happening. And so it just was like, this thing is happening. And this music kind of encapsulates the way that I was feeling at the time, Uh, sonically, you know what I mean? So um, it just went from there. I didn't really, I didn't, it was too early to even be thinking about like, oh, well this, I need to put these harsh ideas over this beat. The beat kind of, the beat and what was happening in my life. And sonically, at the start, the two ideas that I kind of started with was kind of, yeah, that bomb squad, very loud, very kind of everywhere, aggressive. And and then the second one was kind of hitting a little more of the Jamaican uh, a, a Jamaican kind of sound, which they, you know, they touched on with Haram a bit. And I just wanted to kind of, you know, keep going with that theme as well. So, and then when the, the theme started coming in, I started kind of going all over the world and kind of seeing what I can pull from different places that can kind of touch on the themes that he was speaking about. So, you know, Bali and, and, uh, and uh, Ethiopia and the different places. So I, I feel like for me, I'm really happy with it because I kept those those two initial uh, sonic uh, ideas and then kind of added onto it and they, 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 they fell into place and worked out really well. I usually try to think of myself as having a good ear for samples, but I'm generally at a loss <laughs> when, when I listen to your music, which is uh, credit to you. On like on a track like Wharves, for instance, uh, you take like just a few elements, like a, a steel drum and maybe congas, and then there's a whistle that kept making me think like my laundry was done. Um, and they all feel both like very anonymous and very specific. What were some of your favorites on the record, and like some some of your favorite samples, and like particularly ones you felt like you flipped in unusual, interesting ways? 
Wharves is definitely one of them because I, f- I feel uh, it takes you to that unknown that he was talking about. It kind of takes you into this this location that you have no idea where it is. Like that's the feeling I get from it. I mean, Dull Drums is very a very interesting and unique song style-wise and production-wise. That's very different. Christine is beautiful visual kind of track that just uh, it transports you to a place. Christine is very cinematic to me. Yeah, know? super and there's cinematic. There's some other joints like that. It's interesting how they're balanced with some moments that are very chaotic. Yeah, Christine has like the most obvious like lyrical reference on the album, which is like the that like the repeated quote from uh, from Mr. Brown. The chorus was really just me trying to. Um, I was trying to find a connecting point between what the song was about to me which was, uh, at least on the surface, it's about cars that have been in my life or the lives of those around me. And uh, um, and then um, and then sort of the picture that I had in my mind as, you know, I was doing it and the cinematic nature of it, which is uh, obviously, you know, uh, it's somewhat, it's a dark song in a lot of ways, obviously. Um, very dark song. So thinking of a way to tie that in to some of the other themes on the album and just have a good hook. And I was thinking about, um, I mean, I always loved that chorus and the, the legends, sort of the legend that inspired or the story that inspired Bob to write those lyrics which was like this coffin riding around Jamaica, bringing misfortune wherever it went. The idea of duppies and malevolent spirits. Um, And so then it was like, oh, well, you know, the cars depicted uh, in the song being coffins kind of also work. Black car on a back street, low me asleep on the back seat, low by street lamps in the blackness in between. My parents argument, picking up speed, in and out bad dreams. That's what they said when she saw him dead in the road. Now I know it was the shadow of them black wings. Unmarked, followed us for 10 blocks. Nigga said if they try to make the stop, I'm fleeing. Break lights, bright red, lit his face like a demon. We took a left, they went straight, we all laughed, but I seen it. Some had the trap in the trunk of the beamer. Some kept the cracks up front so they could eat them. Some went through the windshield. Some went to the precinct. Some got yapped out driver's seats and parking lots and left bleeding. Some things only make sense in their time. I paid a hundred for the whip, so when police took it, I never paid no never mind. Easy come. From Mandeville to Sligoville, coughing, running around. Upsetting, upsetting, upsetting the town. I feel sort of the same way about like your your lyrical references in a lot of ways as I do about Prez's beats in that I, I feel like they hit me very hard, but I also feel like I'm missing a deeper meaning even when I'm listening pretty closely. So again, not to harp on like the elusive thing, but is, do you like to bait listeners, like especially listeners maybe like me who have a hard time taking things at face value uh, to overthink things? No, I definitely writing the song and so but sometimes something occurs to you and it's good and you're like well i'm gonna i'm gonna do it just because somebody doesn't know and sometimes it's interesting to me because i think about like i don't know when i first heard like only built for cuban links i would say i understood like 
50% of what was being said or happening. I wasn't from New York like that. The extent of the like slang and the combination of like drug shit, New York specific shit, karate movies and five percenter. I didn't know what was happening in like half of only built for Cuban links and probably like 70% of Iron Man. I remember not even thinking Iron Man was good and then like listening to it with Vortal and he was like, nah, this is what's happening here. This is what he's doing here. And you're like, oh, okay. So I never thought Ghostface wasn't sitting there like, oh, most of these people aren't going to understand studying 120 and all this, you know, just did it. And so I, sometimes it's like, sometimes I try not to underestimate what somebody might know about something if it occurred to me. And also if something's good, then I, I might want to do it. I think the important thing to me is that it's not like you need to know a certain thing to enjoy the song or for it to make sense on its surface. Like you could listen to Christine and not even know the Bob Marley part, let alone that Bob Marley was talking about an urban legend in Jamaica when he was alive, that there was this coffin driving around with these crows on it or whatever. You could not even know the Bob Marley song and it could still be a kind of chilling image that would fit what you were listening to. You know what I mean? I want it to be something where like greater meaning could be unveiled to you at some later time if you encountered that information elsewhere or it suddenly just clicked in your mind. Which happens so often with some of the music from back then. Sure. It, it comes 10 years later or 15 years later. It's like, oh, that's what they were talking about. So it happens so much so often, which is, it almost... I feel like it it almost extends your music. It makes it time. That's what I feel like makes it timeless. Because if you if you don't know everything, you you keep listening to it hopefully and then it you 10 10 20 years later down the line you're discovering, oh, he used this sample or oh, that's what he meant. Those are some of the wildest moments to me. I remember going to Vegas for the first time, and I was like, oh, roulette is my game. Unfortunately, don't make roulette your game, everybody. I had an unforgettable first night in Vegas. Won a lot a of bad James Bond movie. <laughs> won a lot of money playing roulette and met uh, a person who I ended up uh, knowing for a very long time, a very uh, important way in my life. Um, and uh, and then I just played roulette. And at a certain point, I remember um, maybe on my second trip to Vegas, suddenly remembering this MF Doom, a, a new meaning, like when he's like feeling like number 26 on the roulette wheel. That's next to nothing. And I had never, it was just a line. I mean, Operation Doomsday is one of my favorite line, albums of all time, any genre. And I said the lyrics to that song so many times. It was just like, oh, wow. A little another piece of the jigsaw that you didn't even realize was missing slides into place. But yeah, I don't like the idea of like sitting around. Uh, who said it? I don't rhyme for Ridland. You know, I'm not out here trying to like 
trick people, usually I'm thinking, oh, this is really dope, and I, I want to make it work if it can work within the context of the song. But if something, the more layers something can have to it, usually the more uh, it interests me. I read an interview where you said, I think it was around the time of terror management, where you said that you were trying to be more clear without really showing it. And I, I really like that line. Um, I think that's a great like guiding principle for all art, maybe to like state things clearly in a way that's clearly to you, but that still makes people like think and leaves them with questions. Some things are complex or could be hard to figure out. And other times people bend themselves into all types of pretzels uh, due to uh, just a lack of like, I don't know, contextual listening and uh, sometimes critical thinking where it's like, this is exactly what it is. This is a story. Of course, there are underlying ideas in the story, but people will be like, and again, I also recognize that as an artist, you create something and let it go and people are free to make their interpretations. Your art takes on a life of its own. There can be meanings within your art that the artist didn't intend that are not invalidated as readings of the piece of art in question. But then there are other times where it's just like, what are you doing, man? That was a story about, that's just, that's a story about a relationship that got fucked up. It's not like some sort of uh, crazy metaphor about my relationship with my mother. And in fact, it's creepy that you're saying that due to the number of sex references in the song. But I say that while also acknowledging that I'm willing to accept readings or things that, um, you know, like critical analysis can certainly contain things I just didn't intend. I just would prefer if they weren't really, like, dumb. That was Billy Woods and Preservation talking to the faders Raphael Helfer. Billy Woods and Preservation's new album, Atheos, is out now via Backwards Studios. This week's episode of The Fader Interview was engineered by Aaron Bastinelli. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're now on the new live radio app, AMP. You can download it from the App Store and check out our shows with the access code FADER on AMP. That's all one word. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then. <laughs>